Now, before we begin, I, I just want to reflect real quick on the, on the words that we just sang, that hymn, I Surrender All. I, I've heard that hymn and sung that hymn, I can't tell you how many times in my life. But I want to ask you, are we just singing those words sometimes? Because the music is telling us to, are we just reciting what we see in front of us? Or do we truly come before him today to surrender all? To surrender everything that we have back to him. To surrender all the gifts back to the giver. All the blessings back to the blesser. All the promises back to the promise maker and the promise keeper. I surrender all. What it would be if those words were true in each and every one of our hearts, that we do surrender every single thing to our Savior. You know, that song is, is very fitting for the message that we'll uh, be in today. So I want to give a quick recap. We're now in week five of a series that we've been looking at the promises of God and the faith of Abraham. We've called this series A Nation, A Name, and A Blessing. And as we've been reading throughout this series, every week we've seen God make these promises to Abraham. And Abraham go through all these situations. Uh, but we've also been seeing Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all these promises. Even greater than the promises that were given to Abraham. And that won't be any different today. Today as well we're going to see Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of what happens but before we begin, I, I want to ask a couple of questions. And it was very fitting that we sang, I Surrender All. I didn't even ask Emily to have that one ready this week. The Lord just kind of worked that out on his own. Because I think he was, if at least not saying that to y'all, I think he's saying that to me and asking me this question. Are there things in our life that we're putting our hopes and our dreams into other than God himself? Are there things that we are trusting in other than God? Are we trusting in what God gives us or in God himself? Is a question I want us to all reflect on today as we read about Abraham and the sacrifice that he is asked to make. Now if we remember in the beginning of our series, Abraham was called to leave his homeland back in Genesis chapter 12, right? God tells him to leave his homeland to go to a land that he would show him. God promised to make him a nation. He would make his name great and he would make him a blessing to all peoples. In chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 and then in verse 4 it says, So Abraham went as God told him. He followed what God told him to do. And as he goes through the land of Canaan and then eventually down to Egypt, we see a lot of faithful acts and then a lot of fearful acts. As he lies to Pharaoh and he gets brought back out of Egypt, goes to Canaan, rescues his nephew Lot, and God promises to be his shield. And one of the most pivotal verses in the Bible every week, I keep reminding us of this because it's so important, says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So then God gives Sarah and Abraham new names, calling him not just an exalted father, but the father of a multitude of nations. 
And Sarah from being uh, my princess to being just princess. And then he gave him a sign of his covenant that would be a sign throughout all generations that God had made this promise and would bless the offspring of Abraham. So we've been going through that for about four weeks. And then last week we took a break to observe the Lord's Supper, which I absolutely loved that last week. That was just a phenomenal experience to partake of that with y'all. But as we took of that, we, we looked not only at what Jesus instituted literally, but how Jesus Christ himself was the true Passover lamb. That he was the fulfillment of those things given to Moses back in the Old Testament. And then we even saw in the book of Revelation how John saw Jesus as the lamb who had been slain. Remember this? In the book of Revelation, John saw that he saw a lamb who had been slain. That had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So we see Jesus as this true lamb. He was the one who was worthy to open the scroll and reveal the will of God for the end of the ages. So that's what we looked at last week. I kind of like how that tied into this week as well. I wanted to go into a whole different passage this week, but I got pointed to this one. And I think it's fitting how God tied all this together without really asking for my permission or my planning. And so we looked uh, last uh, two weeks ago where God told Abraham that he was going to come again and visit him in chapter 17 in about a year and, and that he would have a son, right? Abraham kind of laughed joyfully to himself. And then whenever God also came with the, uh, the other two visitors, right, when we, what we believe is Christ coming to visit Abraham and Sarah as he reclined at the tents at, at Mamre, he also tells this again to Abraham, and Sarah overhears, and she laughs to herself. And then God makes this statement. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, if we remember this, it's been 25 years since the promise was made. Abraham was 75 when he was told to leave his homeland. He's now 99 years old. God's telling him he's going to have a child when he's 100 years old. And Sarah's not a spring chicken either. She's only 10 years younger than him. So she's 90. They laugh at this impossibility. But waiting for 25 years for God to fulfill his promise. That's a long time to to wait on something, isn't it? You know, if you had to wait that long for anything, you would cherish it, right? If you had to wait 25 years for something, you would absolutely cherish whatever that gift was. I, I thought it was bad over this past year. Last year, I finished my, my schooling, finished everything I needed to become Dr. Glover. But because of COVID, I couldn't walk the stage, right? They, they had everything shut down. I had to sit in my living room and do a commencement ceremony virtually. Graduating sitting on your couch is, is just not a, an experience. It, it kind of felt cheap. I, I mean, honestly, I felt robbed. So I waited and I waited and we'd get all these emails from the school and they'd say, oh, we're not ready to have it yet. We're not ready to have it yet. So I'd get so frustrated. But I I had determined in my mind I was going to walk that stage. I did the work. I I did everything required. I was going to walk that stage. But I had to wait an entire year. And I'm telling you, that one year, (laughs) I mean, that felt It felt terrible. I mean, to wait on something for just one year, I can't imagine waiting for 25 years. Some of y'all ain't even 25 years old. Y'all don't even know what it means to wait 25 years for anything. I hardly do. That's another story. 
But anyways, but this happens. Isaac is born. The son that was promised to him is given to him just as God said it would be. So at the proper time, Sarah gets pregnant. She delivers this baby. His name is Isaac. He gets circumcised. And then after it's time, when it's time for him to come and be weaned, probably you know about two, three years old, whenever, he's weaned. And they have this son of promise that is given to them. Can you imagine how great it felt to hold that baby in your arms? To be Abraham or Sarah and, and to hold that infant and to look into his little cute baby eyes and chubby cheeks and know all the promises of God are going to come through this kid. And he's yours. That's the baby you hold and that you raise. What a wonderful thing it must have been to have that son and to love that son. Now, there's a few other things that happen in the text. I'm, I'm going to skip over, and I, and I recommend going back and, and reading these. Go back and read you know, from chapter 17, where God makes all the promises, all the way through where we're going to be today in chapter 22 to get some of the details. But long story short, there's a whole issue where after the visitors come and tell Abraham he's going to have the, the kid in a year, they go down to Sodom. Some angels rescue his nephew Lot. Uh, Abraham intercedes uh, for Sodom because he, he doesn't want it to be destroyed. Lot's family makes a lot of bad decisions. I'm just going to skip over that completely right now. Sodom gets destroyed. Abraham deals with this king named Abimelech. He does some of the things that he did with Pharaoh as well. You know, Isaac gets born, and then Hagar and Ishmael get cast out. Remember, Abraham and Sarah at one point concocted this plan to bring about God's promises in their own way, right? She gave him her servant Hagar for Abraham to have a son with. Maybe Abraham could have a son with her, and he did. And that was a really bad thing. We're not going to get into that today. But they end up getting cast out. Sarah says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for he will not inherit with my son Isaac. And God tells Abraham, go ahead and do that. And God took care of Hagar and Ishmael. God took care of them. But they were no longer in the family of Abraham. Abraham had cast them out. And now after all these things is where we're going to pick up today in chapter 22 Verse 1. To give a quick little bit of context, we don't know how long, how much time has actually passed between the casting out of Ishmael and dealing with Abimelech and things like that. Uh, We don't know how many years have passed, but unless we are to think that Isaac is still like a little bitty child, I want to note a couple of things. Isaac is going to go on a three-day journey with his father. Isaac is going to carry the wood for a sacrifice up a, a mountain. And he's going to ask his dad a few questions. So does that sound like a a small infant at all? No. It doesn't even really sound like a young, young boy to me. It kind of really sounds more like a teenager, um, if not a young man. So that gives us a little bit of context before we start this. But we don't really know how old Isaac is right here. A couple of words, if we go back and doing what words mean in etymology, when he calls him a lad, there's some young men he takes with him, it's the same word. We have no idea how old he actually is at this. You could think anything from being a teenager, uh, like Cameron's age over here, to, to being a grown man like myself. Anything in between is probably conceivable. And so we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read uh, quite a bit today. I, I tried so much. I try to condense these down, you know, because nobody wants to sit and hear a sermon for an hour and a half. Unless y'all do, you know, raise your hand, sign up, and I'll just go really long today. But trying to condense this down, I just couldn't. There's so much good stuff here. 
And as we read every single thing we read, we're just going to see Jesus Christ in every single verse today. If you read this and you don't see Jesus, you've missed the whole story. You, you didn't even read the story if you don't see Jesus in almost every single word that we're going to read today. So beginning in verse 1, Genesis 22 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, God saying, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So a couple of things here. God is once again calling Abraham to go do something, right? Remember in chapter 12, he calls Abraham to leave his homeland and go, and Abraham goes. It's the same thing we see here. He, God calls Abraham to go do something that to us doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, and Abraham goes to do this. Now again, Abraham, I imagine here, is 113 to 130 years old at this point, right? And God is giving him a test God is not tempting Abraham to sin. I want to be clear about this because when we hear this story, one of the first questions that asked that that popped into my mind that asked, why in the world would God ask Abraham to go offer his son as as a burnt offering? Right? That seems like a bit much, doesn't it? I mean, if nothing else, it seems kind of strange. God's not into child sacrifice. So what's going on here? Well, again, this is Abraham. Not, not even yet down near at all to Moses. we still got seven generations to go to before Moses shows up. There is no law. There is no sacrificial system yet. And we know that Abraham has been counted righteous by God, but we have no idea about the state of Isaac's faith, do we? We haven't been told where Isaac's at with anything. And so if Isaac has not yet believed in God and therefore been counted righteous, then Isaac still has the problem of sin in his life, doesn't he? If Isaac has yet to believe then he still has sin. And what are the wages of sin? Death. So therefore, it's not wrong for God to call Isaac's sin to judgment. So lest we think that God's doing something evil or malicious here, the wage of sin is death. And God can call judgment on anyone at any time that he wants to. And if Isaac still had his curse of sin on him, then God could rightfully call for his judgment. But again, this is the promised son, and this is a test for Abraham. This is a very uh, difficult situation. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to us when we first read it. And he says, take your only son, Isaac, right? We mentioned Ishmael. Wasn't Ishmael also the son of Abraham? Well, not anymore. Abraham had already cast him off. Besides that, he was an illegitimate son. He was never the son of promise. Isaac is his son, the son of promise, the son who Abraham loves. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and go and offer him there as a burnt offering. So Abraham rose and went where he was told. Now, can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind at this time? You know, without Isaac, there's no hope. Without Isaac, there's no future, there's no promise, there's no fulfillment. Without Isaac, there's nothing. 
from a human perspective, Abraham must have been like, God, don't you know what you're doing? Without this son, there's nothing. But we don't even hear an objection from Abraham here. It's interesting. And it says in verse 4, On the third day, as they're traveling, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Now we, we know a sacrifice is coming, right? Abraham's gotten the wood ready. He's gone on this three-day journey. Again, the whole time in his mind, Abraham, what is going on in Abraham's mind? Can you imagine at all? Can you imagine what's going on in Abraham's mind? Yet whenever he gets to a point where he wants the servants to stay behind, look at what he tells them. He said, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Hang on. Abraham knows he's got to offer his son as a burnt offering, right? But then he tells them, we're going to go over there, do what God said, and then we're coming back. This defies all human logic, doesn't it? Defies all reason. How can they both come back if one of them's dead? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it says that he, Abraham, considered that God was able to raise the dead. Now, there's no, really no uh, precept for this. There's really no logic for this. Why would Abraham even think this? It's not like God had shown him this before. It's not as though God even said that this is what's going to happen. What it was is that Abraham believed the promise of God so much that he was going to bless him through his son Isaac that even if Isaac died, the blessing would still come through him. That's how much faith Abraham shows in God at this. And then as, he, as they go, it says that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. If that does not remind you of Jesus Christ carrying his own cross, that wooden cross up the hill to where he would be murdered and die, this is exactly what the Bible is teaching us here. Every bit of this story points us to Jesus. It points us to a father who's willing to give up his son. It points us to a son who's willing to die and be obedient to his father. Just as John 19, 17 tells us that Jesus Christ went out, Jesus Christ went out bearing his own cross. This is Isaac with the wood for the sacrifice on his own back climbing up the mountain with his father who has the knife in one hand and the fire in the other. What do those things represent? Fire represents judgment and testing, right? And a knife is an instrument used for killing. Same thing with our heavenly father at the cross of Christ who tried him by fire, put him to our judgment and had him die in our place. But Abraham believes that even if his son dies, when he obeys God, he and the boy will still come back to them. Picking up in verse 7, as they're going, Isaac asks his father. He says, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb 
for a burnt offering. Isaac's obviously old enough to put two and two together, right? Isaac doesn't know exactly what they're doing. But he asks his father, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And we don't have to ask that. We know what's going on here. We know what God has told Abraham. But his response, listen to Abraham's response here in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You know, in this story so far, we've yet to hear any fear out of Abraham. Right? We've seen Abraham act fearful in the past. We've seen him lie to Pharaoh. We've seen him do deceitful acts in that way. But here, he seems to have complete and utter faith in God, even at things that God hasn't necessarily spoken to him yet. He says that God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. We don't hear Abraham objecting. We don't hear Abraham trying to change God's mind. Instead, he obeys in action. He trusts in God. Regardless of what's going on and regardless of what's been asking, asked of him, he trusts completely in God. Now looking at verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Remember the context we have here. This man's at least 113 years old, right? Let's, if we had, uh, if I put Cameron up against somebody who's even about the age of 70, do you think that that would be a real difficult struggle if Cameron wanted to get away from you? I bet he could squirrel right out of that, couldn't he? Without even trying, he could get out of it. So this makes me wonder about what's going on with Isaac. It says that he bound him up and laid him on the altar. There's no indication of a struggle here. There's not even a word raised against his father here. Scripture doesn't even tell us that that he even asked his father a question about this. And if that's the case, doesn't that also remind us of Jesus? Doesn't that also remind us that it says in Isaiah 53 when it said he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus Christ, says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then continuing on in verse 10, as we're looking at this and considering the story of Isaac to point us to the story of Christ Jesus, looking in verse 10, says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's his own son. Jesus Christ is the only son of God, and yet it was his father's will to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That means dying, spilling his blood. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see his offspring. Jesus didn't have any children physically. 
But by faith, he is the firstborn from among the dead. By faith, he is the firstborn among many brethren. So yes, there are an entire offspring of people who are a holy nation, his bride, because of what he has done. It was the will of the Lord to crush him and we will and yet prolong his days. If you've never picked that up before, the scripture tells us that the Messiah will die, yet his days will be prolonged. That doesn't seem to work, does it? How, how can you die yet live forever? But we know that's exactly what happened to Christ Jesus. We know he did die and was raised and is still alive forevermore. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Like we discussed last week, Jesus Christ is the one who approached the throne and took the scroll sealed with seven seals from the hand of God the Father at the throne. He took it and opened it because he was the only one worthy under heaven and earth to open that scroll. And in verse 11, as soon as Abraham has reached up, he has taken the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham is going through with this. Abraham, it doesn't say that Abraham's sitting there hoping God will back him out of this. It doesn't say that. The Bible actually tells us he raised it up to slaughter him. And yet in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, God knows everything, right? There's nothing he doesn't know. And so this word here, when it says, now I know, that's not uh, just to know in the mind. It's an experience. It's an experiential knowing. Abraham has not just shown his potential, but has walked out the actual and demonstrated what was in his heart to God. His faith is living and active, and God has walked with him in that. And we know that Abraham believed and has been counted as as righteous, but his faith is not just a, a mental assent of, yes, I know, I'm checking the box, God. But it's a faith that causes him to follow God in every single thing he does. And so the angel of the Lord tells him to stop right before he's about to do it. And then it says, don't harm the boy. And I love this in verse 13. It says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord tells Abraham to stop, don't harm the boy, because God has something else in mind. Right? We know that Isaac does deserve to die because like all human beings, Isaac has sin in his life. Yet when the time of judgment comes, rather than strike the boy down, God's going to provide a substitute instead. And I love how Abraham looks up and behind him is a ram caught in a thicket. I, I, thinking of Christ Jesus, who's the lamb that was given for us, right? Behind him, through his lineage, through his offspring, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way down through David, all the way down 
through Mary comes this man, Christ Jesus. Behind him is this ram. A ram is a lamb who's a grown, mature adult that has horns, right? Remember John said, I saw a lamb that was slain in the book of Revelation, and he had seven horns. Rams have horns, usually only two, but you know, there's some metaphor there in the book of Revelation. He's caught in the thicket, this bramble, by his horns. Not by his feet, but by his horns. Where are horns on a ram? On his head. Think about that bramble being on the head of Christ, the crown of thorns that was placed on Christ Jesus. God could have had that ram get caught up in that thicket any way he wanted to, but yet it was by his horns on his head. That should draw us immediately to think about Christ Jesus. So he takes the ram and he offered it instead of his son. And just as Abraham did not withhold his son from God, God did not withhold his son from us. Jesus Christ, who was willing to die in our place so that we didn't have to come under the judgment of God, God has provided for us a lamb to be sacrificed instead of us having to die. And now, if there's any human being that dies and is judged for their own sin, it's because they have rejected what God has provided for them. If you die and face the judgment of God, it's because you rejected what was freely given to you. You rejected what was freely offered to you. He has provided. And the only way we face judgment is if we reject what he has given. And we say to him, no thanks God, I got this on my own. And then in verses 15 through 19, I'm I'm not going to go through them all the way, but there's a, a blessing that comes The angel of the Lord appears again to him and blesses him because he did not withhold his only son from him. He blesses him and he says he's going to multiply his offspring and all the nations will be blessed. And again, we know that this is all pointing to Christ Jesus and that all the peoples of the world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, everyone would be blessed through his offspring, eventually Christ Jesus. And again, God did not withhold his own son from us. So Abraham did this by faith. By faith, he believed that God could raise his son from the dead. But how could God be God to a dead son? How could nations come from a dead son? How could a dead son inherit all the promises of God? And yet that's exactly what happened in Christ Jesus. He did die. He died, and his death was the purchasing of the price for God's redeemed people. And in him who was raised, the firstborn from the dead, the heir of all things that belong to the Father are given to him. And then those of us who believe in him inherit that with him. So Abraham had the very promise of God with him. He held the promise of God in his arms. And as the boy grew He loved that son. And yet he didn't hope in the promise itself. But he hoped in the one who made the promise. And so I ask you again today, is there anything that you have begun to put your hopes in? Besides only hoping in God? 
Is there anything that you've been basing your life's joy or happiness in outside of God? Where we start to look to these things in creation rather than the creator. And I'm not even talking about bad things, right? We start to put our hope and our trust in our career, in our money, in our possessions, in our status, in our achievements, in our stuff. Do we hope that when the day of calamity comes, we got enough stuff in the bank so we can make it through because of our stuff? Because if that's the case, that's where your hope is. And you can sing all day, I surrender all to Jesus, but if your hope's in your stuff, you're lying to God. I'll freely admit that I'm tempted to do this a lot. To put hope in stuff and things. Again, I just went and walked the other day for a stage for achieving a degree. And I'm tempted a lot of times to put all my hope and trust in that degree is what's going to open all the doors for me. That's what's going to make me accepted. That's what's going to make me successful. That's the temptation. And while it's a good thing, if I put my hope and trust in that, that's it. And it will fail me and it will let me down. But if I see the things that God has given me as tools to use to bless others and to glorify his name and I trust in him, then I'll never be put to shame. And neither will you. So again, I ask, is there anything that you've been putting your hope and your trust in outside of God himself? And what I'd like to do this morning as, as we go into our, our time of invitation is I'd like to offer a time that if you have done that with anything in your life, if you've put your hope in, into career, to money, education, status, success, achievement, possession, anything, if you found yourself putting your hopes in this, today I want to invite you to come up here and offer that back to God. I'm not saying it's wrong to have those things, but I'm telling you it's very wrong to put your hope and your trust and your joy in those things rather than in God himself. So as we sing during this invitation time today, if you have done that with anything in your life, I invite you to come and offer that back to God to take its rightful place underneath God and to be used for his glory and others good as we sing if you'll stand and sing with Emily as we uh, go into this time of invitation all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust So. Sure. 